This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Business Made Simple, hosted by Donald Miller and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Business Made Simple takes the mystery out of growing your business. Long-time listeners will know that Donald Miller's been on this show at least a couple times. There's a recent episode I want to point out, how to make money with your current products. Man, such an important lesson about leveraging what you've already done to get more from it. Listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance. My guest today is Mark Killens. He is the CMO of AirMeet, a leading virtual and hybrid event platform. He oversees AirMeet's global marketing team responsible for brand, demand, lifecycle, and product marketing. So Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, John. It's a pleasure. So you said you didn't want to talk about AirMeet. I really appreciate that. But give us the quick hit. Like, what is AirMeet? I mean, we just help people join together and we help them join together from any place. And that's you know, something that's more important than ever today. So, you know, we help facilitate conversations. You know, I come from a background of Drift and HubSpot, uh-huh. two other pretty well-known SaaS brands. Sure. And my background's always been about helping people. And in this situation with Airme, it's just about helping people connect, learn from each other, and hopefully form some type of relationship or, you know, kind of reconnect and keep that relationship going. So it's pretty much as simple as that. So, so the pandemic did a lot of things. One of the things it really did was put a jolt into the virtual meeting space. I mean, they, you know, some of the legacy platforms have been around. I mean, I was using you know, go to webinar, go to meetings, stuff like that 15 years ago, but there's really like so much has happened in this space. I mean, how would you describe kind of the status of the virtual meeting today? It's an interesting question. I think it's still very much ripe for disruption. You know, there's this notion of the web today as this like two-dimensional space. The internet before the web was very like one-dimensional. It's very just text-based, right? It's, you know, command lines and whatnot. Now it's very two-dimensional. There's rich imagery. There's videos. We're at this inflection point or somewhere close to this inflection point where the web is going to become three-dimensional. And that's like how you think about the metaverse, right? That's the Facebook rebrand, et cetera, et cetera. And to me, that's where virtual events and online meetings, online events, that's when they're going to really take shape once we make this transition. Some of this is you know, software related, maybe bandwidth related, but some of it is also just hardware related. Like one of the things that most people use every day that is yet to be disrupted by some type of technology are your glasses, Like your Mm. glasses are probably one of the only things you still put on your body that doesn't have some type of technology into it. And once your glasses start to get disrupted, like the watch has been disrupted, right? Yeah. And your phone, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that's going to be, I think, a tipping point for when not just meetings and virtual events change, but fundamentally how we communicate and interact with the world changes again, too. All right, I wasn't going to go down this rabbit hole, but you went there already, you know. So are we talking about augmented reality to where an event now will feel like I'm in a conference room? Eventually. Yeah. You know, this is far out. The hardware's got to catch up, software's got to catch up. It has to, when we get to that point, it also has to be super easy for the end user to experience that. Right. You can't have to you won't be able to anticipate them having to learn a lot, right? It's got to be pretty seamless and frictionless. Like if you're asking the user or those people that are joining those meetings to have to 
figure out a lot of configuration or go through this onboarding flow, it's not going to work. So it's going to have to be really simple and it's going to have to build upon existing patterns that exist today, both in our in real life lives and our digital lives and just make them easier. If it goes in the other direction, it's just not going to work, John. Well, you know, it's interesting though. It's really, I mean, people can change their behavior, right? I mean, that happened. I mean, you saw the memes in the beginning of 2020 of, you know, people not being able to get on Zoom and, you know, trying to teach their parents and grandparents how to do stuff, you know, virtual. So, I mean, behavior can change. But let me ask you another maybe harder question. A lot of people I talk to now are just sick of Zoom TV, sick of these kind of, you know, meets that that are going on. Is that a function of the technology itself, or is it a function of how people are using it? It's both, in my opinion. One is we over-index so hard into just communicating and working through digital channels. That has to be balanced out. And now we're seeing that balancing happen. But to your point, there are new habits that have been developed. Preferences have changed. Lifestyles have changed. I know that's true for me and most everyone I know. So some of that is permanent and it makes sense because it's been like a year and a half, two years of a pretty drastic change. And it's like a 10,000 hour rule. Once you do something for 10,000 hours, it kind of just sticks, right? The other thing though is technology where, you know, if you look at like a webinar, which is the, I guess you could say the 1.0 of a virtual event, right? It has been going on for a long time. Oh, I used to do do teleseminars over the phone. (laughs) Okay. That's how long I've been doing this. So yeah, you know, you know, again, my first <laughs> webinar that I hosted was like right around 2010. And so, yeah, I mean, you're better than that, me at this and know more about it. It's to me, it's a bad experience, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the experience. And this is, you know, when you think about generational, when you think about millennials, excuse me, versus Gen Z versus yeah. you know, older generations, you know, this is going to quickly catch up where the new buyers, especially in a B2B context, are going to be anticipating and expecting a very different experience than what you know has happened in the last 10 years. So again, all of this is coming to a head, but I really think that technology is, some of it is there. Like at Airbnb, we really pride ourselves in creating as an engaging event as possible. It's not so much the content, it's how you help design the event and how you right. engage the audience and get them to engage with one another. But still, that requires education and skill sets that maybe marketers don't have today, John. You know, I had a speaker on this show articulate the, something that that I think a lot of people really underestimate. He, you know, was used to talking on stages to ten thousand people, and he said, "When I was on stage to ten thousand people, I was it. I was the spotlight. Everyone was looking at me." He said, "But now, when I go and I could be speaking to ten thousand people virtually, nobody's looking at me. In fact, you know, that's not the point of it at all. And that I have to change. I had to change everything about the way I was, about the way I engaged, about what I even spoke about it. And I think that's where a lot of people make mistakes is they think that these virtual events are just taking an event and putting it online. And there's really a difference, isn't there? A huge difference. I think most virtual events, and you're hinting at this, feel empty because you can't see anyone and the speaker can't see anyone. And it's hard to interact with people if it's not designed properly, not using the right technology, and they all feel the same. Yeah. And when you think about an in-person event, it's almost never the case. They feel empty, right. big problem. Right. Right. <laughs> they almost never feel the same. So, And the, one of the most important things from an in-person event is the wow moment of when you first get to the event. Like when you first walk into that physical space and that event space, it has to really like, impress you. It's like, whoa, first impressions matter. When you enter into these virtual experiences and virtual meetings, 
the experience is not wow. It's like, oh my God, another Zoom, another team. This is not good. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So so I'll tee this one up for you. Are you is Aramit doing something to address that problem? Yeah, I mean, we definitely are. I'll give you some tips that you can do with without even Aramit, right? The first thing I would do is really focus on creating shorter, more dynamic virtual events. So what I mean by that is think of like a TV show that's 30 minutes, an hour long, and think about how much, how fast those cameras are changing angles, but specifically how long different scenes are. And then when do commercials happen and how that's chopped up, right? If you actually look at like how a TV show is edited and produced over the course of say 60 minutes, that's how you can emulate a virtual event. So when you think about it, it's less about having 20, 30 minutes of like long content. It's about having five, 10, maybe 15 minutes at the most different segments that you're stitching together to tell a story to the audience that's again harder than what people are used to and a lot of marketers again are going to need to learn how to do this but it's going to be a lot better for the audience john and now let's hear from a sponsor you know everybody's online today but here's the question are they finding your website you can grab the online spotlight and your customers attention with semrush from content and seo to ads and social media semrush is your one-stop shop for online marketing Build, manage, and measure campaigns across all channels faster and easier. Are you ready to take your business to the next level? To get seen? Get SEMrush. Visit SEMrush.com. That's S-E-M-Rush.com slash go. And you can try it for seven days for free. Yeah, so... Talk a little bit about engagement. I know that one of the, cha- you know, I was that I was guilty, you know, one to many, just listen to me talk for an hour. Then you can ask questions at the end. I mean, we all did that, you know, for many years and certainly people are not going to tolerate that anymore because they've partly because you've got some really professional people that are producing <laughs> some amazing, you know, virtual content. Right. And so I think it's made us all up our game. And so, you know, one of the things that to your point, you know, I'm on camera all the time now when I'm presenting, you know, even if I'm just like in a quarter of my slides. I'm asking questions all the time, stopping, you know, there's no like, I got to get through this. It's, you know, how can we make that, which is probably what I should have been doing all along. Right. But, but my, my question in this is, you know, what are some best practices, some tips for getting that engagement, getting people to talk, getting people to raise their hands? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's either like every five minutes, seven minutes, 10 minutes at most, you need to do something to engage the audience deeper than just asking them a question. So for one example that we do a lot is you can play a game with the audience. This is not a game with a poll or the chat, but it's a native embedded game into the event experience. And they can play that for one to two or three minutes and they get real time feedback with that game. You know, this is all set up beforehand. It's built into the run of show. It's built into the content. But if you're, if you're engaging the audience every, again, somewhere between five and 10 minutes, it's, you're just always pulling them back into it, right? Even yeah. if they're passively listening. And then if you put some types of, you know, not all the time, but again, lightweight incentives, they could even be heavy handed incentives, right? <laughs> Things that are not even just worth money, but time, right? If they got you, for you, for example, John, like 30 minutes of your time, right? Someone who's going to want to take advantage of that. But again, that's going to require them to participate, right? It's the give get. I think it's all about designing different give gets. Things that you can do with different technology as well is that you could set up five minutes of speed networking. So Mm -hmm. automatically, everyone in the event can be doing speed networking for, say, two minutes at a time. And they do that for six minutes or three sessions, right? After those six minutes, it's back to maybe some content. 
maybe another six minutes, you pull people onto the stage, kind of like you do in Clubhouse. You, know, you can do that with Aramid, right? So you're always trying to find ways to engage the audience. And one of the key things to a good event, no matter if it's 30 minutes, 60 minutes, three hours, is the host, John. I cannot overstate this enough. You need to find someone, doesn't have to be on the marketing team, could be anyone at the company who's a dynamic host, who can keep the energy and the momentum of the experience going throughout that time. So, so I, everything you said, spot on, totally agree. But then the reality comes, it's like, I've got this meeting. I just need to present this stuff to this group because we said we were going to, I mean, how do you take that kind of thing? And I mean, do you think people, do you think people are going to, that's just going to be a better meeting if you use some of these ideas as opposed to just kind of, I mean, cause they're all meetings, you know, even in person meetings, you know, I shouldn't say all most, you know, are really painful. So are these practices that we should be doing in meetings, no matter what? I mean, the short answer is yes, most of the time. I don't want to speak in absolutes, but to me, why meetings don't go off pretty successfully or don't meet expectations is there's not enough planning yeah. done on the meetings host. Right. You just got to plan, John. And I think that's the issue. If you look at how much time is planned for an in-person event versus a virtual event, I guarantee the virtual event has less planning. Totally. <laughs> totally. I 100% agree. I mean, First of all, there's less logistics. You know, there's no food involved. There's, you know, no contract with a place involved. So, I mean, there's obvious reasons, but you're right. That probably then translates into, I don't put as much time into the programming either. You don't put as much time into the program and the experience, right? Like, even if it's like, yeah, take away those things that are like, of course, only in person, but say you would even say like, look, I'm doing a hundred person virtual event that I could also right. do in person, but to do that hundred person virtual event, I want to have the cost per attendee be about $500 in person be a thousand because of the actual physical space. Yeah, 500 yeah. is going to sending them food, sending them unique experiential type things. If you thought about it like that, it's actually a similar game. Yeah. But again, like it requires a different mindset and a different like, kind of skill set to some degree. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is if I go to a, a, an in-person event, I kind of expect all that stuff. If I'm attending a virtual event and somebody did that, I, you know, you blow me away, right? Because I didn't expect all that. So I think you actually have a, an opportunity there to really, really shine. It, I know this is a like a totally it depends question, but is there a sweet spot for virtual events? Like 10 people is nice. A thousand people is ridiculous. I mean, it, and again, I'll give you the permission to say it depends, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I think it depends on the outcome that you're trying to leave the audience with and the right. outcome you're trying to generate for the business. Yeah. So so one of my favorite frameworks that could probably be applied to more than just virtual events or events in general is this who, why, how, and what framework. So first off, with any good event, we did a lot of in-person events at Drift before the pandemic. We did a ton of virtual events. We started to yeah. do in-person again before I joined Airmeet. We always deeply thought about the who. We planned the who many times with another team, like the sales team, the customer success team, the product team, to get a really good idea of who, right? Any good marketer, John, right, does the who yeah. thoroughly. Then, though, what you have to think about is like, you know, who's going to register? Who's going to attend? Who's going to engage? Who's going to recommend this event? That's all about like, why would they register, attend, engage, and recommend? So most people forget to ask themselves, why would this audience do these things? And they just skip to, why are we doing this event for the business? So yeah. I think there's a disconnect yeah. there. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. 
Yeah, it's very common to think about what's in this for us as opposed to why would people be doing this, yeah. It's a complete mindset shift. And then the the, the two last things we think deeply about is how do you craft an event experience? All the stuff we were just talking about. So like the run of show, the agenda. Yeah. So that it tells a story and keeps people captivated. I think a key word when it comes to, especially online meetings, virtual events, is captivating, right? Like attention grabbing, right? Like, because at the end of the day, if it's not that, it's just like, you can watch the recording of the video, right? It's just, it's glorified content. It's glorified content and no one wants that at all. So you have to really think about how you design that. And then lastly, the last thing you do is what is the best type of event format you could use to achieve this great story that you're trying to tell with these experiences for the specific goal, for the specific audience. A lot of people just jump to the fact that, hey, we just need to do a webinar on this and that's it. When they think like, actually, you know what? You don't need to do a webinar. You just need to do a roundtable discussion with some awesome experts and, you know, introduce a few engaging elements. And that's going to be way better than that webinar. (laughs) You you know, it's interesting um, because a lot of events have gone, you know, in-person events have gone by the wayside, you know, people are looking for different formats and we're finding that bringing like 15 people together, small cohorts is, you know, of like-minded, you know, peers, whatever they are, you know, has really been very effective. And I think it's because we're not getting the in-person, you know, a lot of times people go to a conference really just to network. And so, you know, by we've been providing more what I would call networking, you know, as, as big a part as any of the programming. Love that. I've been hearing that a lot. I've also been hearing that, yes, you'll have a flagship event. That's maybe both like customer user, you know, centric and maybe prospect centric, maybe it's one or the other. And you'll do smaller in-person events around, you know, the key locations around the country or globe. But then you have to augment that with additional places that people can join together online because you're missing out on an audience if you don't do that. You're also missing out on a chance to engage them throughout the year to then get them to one of those bigger events, right? It's yeah. like the Salesforce strategy, which is anyone can do now. You just can't do it all in person because it's not yeah. cost effective. It's not logistically you know, possible. Yeah. But the, if you think about your events as like an annual cal- kind of calendar and you're creating a wave, you're creating all this event momentum. And at the end of the year, Q3 or Q4, you do the big event, like Salesforce is done with Dreamforce, like HubSpot's done with Inbound. That's a much more interesting model because by the yeah. time they get to those events, to your point, the relationships have been built a little bit. They're excited. They're going to be super pumped and they're going to leave feeling super amped up to continue on you know, with that brand in whatever capacity they want to. So to me, you can't think of an event as a point in time. It's got to be a holistic strategy. Yeah, yeah. So so let's talk a little bit about that. And this will just get your opinion on this idea. What do you think the future of big events? You mentioned, you know, inbound. I Last time I spoke at inbound, there were like 30,000 people there. I don't think they're, I'm speaking again this year at inbound. And I can't imagine that they'll have more than 10. Just, you know, I could be totally wrong on that. Sorry, HubSpot, if you're listening. I hope you get 30,000 people if that's what you want. But my point is, do you think that big giant, you know, kind of event that companies would do is really never going to happen again? People are spread out. They're not as willing to travel. Uh, They're not going into offices. You know, I mean, is that, is, are we going to be in this hybrid land, do you think, for the rest of the foreseeable future? For big flagship events, yes. And that's been backed up by Forrester. I've been speaking to Forrester on a pretty regular basis about these things. They've done a lot of research over the last two, three years, pre-pandemic, and then now after the pandemic, and now after the pandemic has kind of ended-ish. 
And <laughs> they think all, they've seen flagship events, like basically say, yes, it's going to be in person. Most will have hybrid you know, inbound. I'm pretty sure you're right. They expect about 10,000 people in person, but they expect 60,000 people online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's bigger than any of their in-person events ever before, right? Their biggest in-person event was about 30,000 to your point. So now you're talking over 2x what they could have done, right? It goes back to the point of like inclusivity and getting people to come join together no matter where they are because people want choice, convenience as much as ever before. So to to me and for me, I want to be able to experience that even if I don't feel comfortable, have the money, uh, have the time to go do that. And you're just missing out if you don't do that. So either, John, there's a hybrid type format, which is even more difficult to pull off and more expensive. So we could talk yeah, about that. Yeah. Or something we did at Drift is we did an in-person event, recorded all the content and reused half of it into a slightly different format on a virtual event standpoint a few weeks later with a live host with a lot of engaging elements. <clears throat> but it wasn't a simulive, right? It was like we took it, we edited it, we created a different runner show and then did it virtually. Yeah, that's really a great format too, because it gives you so much more control. I mean, one of the challenges with trying to do the hybrid thing live is that you've got so many things out of your control and logistics that are an issue that <laughs> that really <clears throat> kind of maybe take your eye make you take your eye off the ball of the live audience. You know, so I think that makes a ton of sense. Well, you're doing two events. In my opinion, yeah. if you do hybrid, you need to have a runner show for the live event, right? That's yeah. very much planned out. And you need to have a runner show for the virtual event that's planned out. And it, to me, what I'm seeing as best practice is I would want to have a, a host for the virtual live sure. audience that's different yeah. than the host for the in-person audience, right? So yeah. it's almost two events. Yeah, because they've got to be engaging them in a different way. You think about all the breaks, like what happens now, <laughs> stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you taking some time to stop by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast and talk a bit about the state of virtual events. So you want to share where people can connect with you? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me, John. Find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, search my name on Google. I'll I'll connect with you. And if you have any questions, I will definitely respond. And again, thanks for having me on the show. You bet. We'll have all that in the show notes. But if you're just one of those listeners trying to do it, it's Mark Killens, K-I-L-E-N-S. All right, Mark, thanks. Hopefully we'll run into you one of these days in Boston. Yeah, I hope so too. Hey, and one final thing before you go. You know how I talk about marketing strategy, strategy before tactics. Well, sometimes it can be hard to understand where you stand in that, what needs to be done with regard to creating a marketing strategy. So we created a free tool for you. It's called the Marketing Strategy Assessment. You can find it at marketingassessment.co, not .com, .co. Check out our free marketing assessment and learn where you are with your strategy today. That's just marketingassessment.co. I'd love to chat with you about the results that you get. 